I am excited, though. Just I can't wait. I'm fine to say that again. I'm excited about uh, the Word of God and what we're going to be diving into today. Uh, last week, if you remember, we saw Jesus as he was led out into the desert by the Holy Spirit where he was tempted by the devil. And he showed us not only his own faithfulness, but also gave us a model or uh, an example of how we too might get through temptations when they come. Um, but as I was studying the scriptures this week, it got me thinking about who Jesus is. It got me thinking about what he's come to do and maybe even some of the ideas about who we understand Jesus to be. And I was thinking about it, it's maybe something sort of like this picture. All these, I don't know, maybe Rick, if you can dim these, the front lights a little bit um, so people can see. That uh, you see these, all these different pictures, different images of Jesus different ideas about who he is. And it got me thinking some about maybe sometimes we have a narrow understanding of Jesus. Um, how do I broaden my understanding of who he is, to take it all in, every aspect of who he is and what he's come to do? More importantly, how do I see him clearly? How do I keep all of these images of Jesus in focus? And I was thinking about that. Maybe some of you um, have questions or maybe you... Um, has some ideas about who Jesus is. I'm interested, who do you say Jesus is? If you could say it in one word. Savior. Actually, that's the first one I have. Savior. Messiah. Creator. Yeah, good. What else? Provider, yes. Father, yeah, Jesus. Maybe more like brother, God the Father, right? What else? Friend. Ooh, that's a good one. Yes. Good shepherd. We have all these pictures, these images and ideas of Jesus. Lord, Son of God. Maybe some even just, you know, good teacher. Um, sometimes I wonder, though, if we're honest, um, how many of us think of Jesus as blesser of my plans? In terms of, here's what I plan to do, here's all the stuff I'm interested in. Jesus, please bless them for me. Or maybe sometimes, and we would never say this, but sometimes maybe this uh, foolish giver of cheap grace who keeps, I know they'll just keep forgiving me, so I'll just keep on doing what I want to do, even if it's sinful. In what ways do we miss Jesus? More importantly, how do we fail to see him clearly? How do we keep all of the right image of Jesus in focus? That's why I love the word of God love studying the scriptures. Um, it keeps us showing, actually, the, keeps, the scriptures keep showing us who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And not just in narrow terms that sometimes we tend to reduce it to, but actually in broad terms of who he is. Constantly giving us, the word of God constantly gives us new insights into Jesus. Constantly shows us who he is. Let me show you what I mean. <clears throat> All right. So, if you want to, uh, if your sermon guide here, you can open it up. The scriptures are inside there. If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. If you want to open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. We're going to start there or open the, the sermon guide. So, let's start here. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, synagogues and everyone praised him. Okay, there's a few things I just want to point out to us here. First is one is that Jesus, again, is moving in the power of the Spirit. And 
If you had been reading Luke's gospel up to this point, say if you just this morning you thought, oh, you know what, I'm going to read Luke chapters 1 to 4 this morning, one of the things you probably would have noticed is how much the Holy Spirit is at work here. The Holy Spirit is mentioned numerous times and is constantly at work. Let me just tell you, like one is when Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, came to Mary and said, you're going to have the Son of God. It talks about how she was filled with the Spirit. Or when Mary, after she had been told that she was going to have Jesus and she was pregnant, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And as soon as she showed up, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Or what about Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist? When John the Baptist, when his son was born, Luke tells us that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. Or what about John the Baptist himself? Actually, after his birth story, it says he grew and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Or what about Simeon, who when Jesus was uh, still a young child, and they actually eight days old, and they brought him to the temple to be dedicated. When Simeon sees the baby Jesus, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is guiding this good news, this story of Jesus. And Luke is helping us see that again and again. But it gets even more pointed, gets even more specific when it starts talking about Jesus. When Jesus was baptized... Does anybody remember who came down like a dove? Holy Spirit, absolutely. When Jesus was then led out into the desert, did he just go there on his own? No, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And now the first thing, this is the next story right after Jesus, after he's tempted in the desert, is this story here where it talks how he returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Luke is wanting us to see that this is Spirit-driven. God's Spirit is at work, God's Spirit is guiding, and Jesus is empowered by Him. All right, so that's the first thing I wanted to show you. The other thing I wanted to show you is this here is everyone praised Him. They hear about the stuff that Jesus is doing, and they, they are digging it. They love what Jesus is saying, they love what He's doing, He's healing people. Um, but I just want you right now just to keep this in mind, okay? Just hold this in your mind as we work through the rest of this story. Okay, so the scene is set. We have the location. We have some anticipation building. Everybody's amazed at what Jesus has said. I don't know about you, but I'm already starting to think I can't wait to see what he's going to say. All right? Okay, so Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Now, I want to show you something here with the next couple verses, okay? So just watch this carefully. So it says here, verse 20, it says, He stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Okay? So then, I'm going to skip over the part where Jesus speaks, and I'm going to show you the end of it. It says, Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. All right, so this is a, this is a rhetorical device. Luke is telling the story in this way so we get the point, okay? He's saying that Jesus stood up, received the scroll, and unrolled it. Then he preaches his sermon... Then he rolls back up the scroll, hands it to the attendant, and sits down. Okay, can you see how it sort of like puts the story together? It's like the beginning and the end. Luke is trying to get us to look at Jesus' sermon, to see what he's saying here. Luke is really trying to draw attention to it. All right? So let's see what he's got going on here. So this is what Jesus says. He stands up, he's unrolled the scroll, he's in the synagogue filled with Jewish people who are faithful, who know the word of God, and he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. 
because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Whoa. Can you imagine Jesus standing up and saying that right in the middle of this room? Now, once again, Jesus is quoting Scripture. He didn't just make this up off the top of his head. All right? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but since he was baptized, well, uh, in, most of, in most of Luke's gospel up to this point, there's one other place where he doesn't quote Scripture, but just about everywhere else Jesus talks, he's speaking Scripture, the Old Testament, the Word of God. I think partly because he wants us to understand who he is in light of the Old Testament, in light of the prophets and the law. Okay? Does anybody recognize the passage where he's quoting? Yeah, some people nodding their heads. It comes from Isaiah 61, from the prophet Isaiah. Now, there's a couple of things I wanted to show you. Like just one, like just listen again for what Jesus is saying. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he's not just talking about the economic poor. He's talking about the socially poor, the emotionally poor, the intellectually poor. All these things, people who are struggling on the margins. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Now, when Jesus says recovery of sight for the blind, both Isaiah and Jesus, they mean people who are literally blind and they mean people who are spiritually blind. To release the oppressed. We'll come back to that. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus proclaiming good news to this group of people. To, this, uh, to the group of people gathered in the synagogue that day. All right? But here's a couple of things I want to point out. First, I don't know if you noticed this, but the idea of me. Now, it's a little bit harder in English. I mean, our language works differently, but in, you see that me is at the end of the sentence. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He has sent me. Jesus is drawing all this onto himself, okay? This is not saying, you know, here and somebody else is going to come after me. He's drawing everything to himself. Jesus is the one who will do this. But there's also this idea of release, of freedom. Now, in English, we get two words, freedom and release, but actually in Greek, it's the same word, aphesin. Now, you don't need to worry about the Greek word so much as this understand that it has multiple understandings or multiple connotations elements to this word of release. All right? So one of them is um, this idea of release, like freedom to set free. Uh, one of them is redemption, to redeem. One of them is even to forgive. I know it's, it's, and actually in the Greek, when Jesus speaks in the Lord's Prayer, when he teaches us to pray, he says, afasin our sins as we afasin, uh, sorry, afasin our debt as we afasin our debtors. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Actually, that word is a facing. So there's, this, there's kind of a few meanings here with this word. So not only does it mean like set free, but it also means to forgive, to permit, to release. There's actually three ideas wrapped up in this word of facing or this word of release. The first one is redemption, like to redeem, to take out of captivity. Start thinking things like Exodus, to bring Israel out of, out of their bondage, out of their slavery in Egypt. Start thinking exile, to bring Israel out of exile in Babylon. These ideas of facing are gathering up these images of redemption, of setting free the oppressed. 
There's also this understanding, this idea of freedom from sin and from Satan. This idea to release the oppressed not only means those who are oppressed like politically or socially, but also those who are oppressed by sin or by Satan. There's also this understanding too of to forgive. Jesus has come to set people free to forgive people, to forgive the oppressed. But it's interesting. I don't know if you've caught this or any of you have studied this, this verse. Actually, Jesus doesn't quote it right. <laughs> uh, Isaiah 61, both in Hebrew and in, in the, the Greek version, the Septuagint, he actually doesn't quote it right. Now, there's some who thought, oh, well, maybe it's like, a, you know, maybe Jesus had a different version that he was quoting from or maybe he just made a mistake. You know, I'm thinking like Jesus has been quoting scripture through the whole part of Luke's gospel, the whole first part. All right? And I don't think he actually made a mistake. Actually, this verse right here, to release the oppressed, doesn't come from Isaiah 61. It actually comes from Isaiah 58. All right? So Jesus is inserting this phrase here from a different part of Isaiah's prophecy, not, I think, because he made a mistake, but because I think he wants to make a point. All right? So, um, so far, I think he's trying to make this point he wants us to see, to hear not only what Isaiah says in Isaiah 61, but to also to include what he says in Isaiah 58. Listen to Isaiah 58 here, okay? Let me just read this for you. So, Isaiah speaking to Israel, speaking what God has told him. He says, Shout it out loud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with their wicked fists you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for, and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to release the oppressed and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Again, reference back to Exodus. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. Isaiah 58 is a prophetic challenge. Not only does God rebuke Israel for their false religion, he's rebuking them for their fake fast. They were all about looking religious, but they weren't about acting faithful. They wanted to look pious, but they weren't interested in serving people who needed help. 
more than that, God is calling them to a jubilee year. Jubilee year was, a, it was an idea that God had given his people early on while they were still in the desert, a time when they would have a year after 70 years when they would release everybody. When everyone would be released, if you had sold yourself into slavery because you couldn't afford food, you would be released. If you had sold your property to buy food that, for that year because you were starving, you would get your property back. Became, it grew on this understanding of not only a time when people would, re, would forgive one another, but that God would forgive his people. Jesus is saying, this day is here. But more than that, he's calling people not just, to, not just to more piety, not to just looking more religious, but to the kingdom of God, to bringing about justice, to serving others, to helping the oppressed, to helping those who are on the margins, those who are starving, those who are without clothes, to do more than just pray and fast and look religious, but to actually serve people. All of this is wrapped up in Isaiah 58. And when Jesus preaches in Nazareth, essentially he's saying, I have come to do great stuff, to do amazing things, but I'm also going to speak the truth and speak the truth about your hypocrisy. He's saying all of this right in the middle of synagogue worship. Okay, so then Jesus says all this, then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. They're staring at him, like just blink, blink. <laughs> and he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, not only is this scripture, uh, am I reading it to you? He's saying, but I am fulfilling it right now, right in front of you. This scripture is fulfilled. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Let that sink in for a second. Just, I wish we could just stop right here. Everybody's amazed. Man, thank you, Jesus. That is amazing. You're saying these amazing things. We, we are stunned. You could hear a pin drop. until Jesus says the scriptures have been fulfilled in your hearing. Everybody's impressed. Everybody's amazed. <laughs> and then somebody asks, isn't this Joseph's son? No. At first, I was, listening, I was watching different commentaries. People were saying different things about, like, you know, maybe they meant it just like as an honest question. Or, and... You know what? Does anybody know who else asked if Jesus is the Son of God? Who's the last person to ask if you are the Son of God? Anybody remember that one? Satan, right? The devil. And Luke has been spending the whole first four chapters of his gospel trying to see, trying to show us that even though Joseph might be Jesus' stepdad, he is God's son. Jesus is or sorry, Luke is trying to get us to see that, that they shouldn't have even asked. There's not even a question, isn't this Joseph's boy? He wants us to know that this is God's son. Jesus is Yahweh's son. So, they ask, isn't, isn't this Joseph's son? And that you can just hear the air just get sucked out of the room. And then Jesus says to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. 
Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. <laughs> Wait a minute. What? What just happened? I mean, everybody was amazed. Jesus preached this killer sermon. Everybody was astounded. And it all switches as soon as they ask, isn't this Joseph's son? Everybody spoke well of him. Everybody was amazed. I mean, I just, it was just two seconds ago that we had this slide, right? But they asked the wrong question, and so Jesus responds. First of all, they get the wrong father. They remember from the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke is trying to show us again and again that Jesus is God's son, that Yahweh is his father. Not only that, uh, but I think it actually goes a bit deeper. Trying, I was trying to get at what they were saying. Jesus, like Jesus understands people. And I would say even as the Son of God sees into people, sees the truth behind their motives, uh, or behind their words, he sees their motives. And so he's saying, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, which was a common proverb uh, in the Mediterranean area. And he says, do in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Essentially, they're saying, do here. We want you to be famous for us. We want to see all the cool stuff you do in your hometown. Almost kind of like they have like they, like this idea that they kind of own him a bit. Or that they want him to be God on their terms. To be their local prophet, their local miracle worker. Come to Nazareth. Maybe we can sell tickets. They want God on their terms. And so Jesus replies to them with two stories. Ready for this? Jesus says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah <clears throat> was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Okay, so Zarephath, region of Sidon, for those of you who are... Um, so wondering, like, so what does that mean? That's sort of like, that's like the wrong side of the tracks. That's the bad people. <laughs> Elijah, a prophet of God, is sent to the wrong people, not to Israel, but to the wrong kind of people. Okay, so that's the first story. The next one is this. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. <clears throat> so, this... Uh, this um, foreign general who nobody likes, he's a Gentile, he's the wrong guy, he's not Jewish, God heals him. So Jesus is quoting these two stories about God going beyond the people of Israel to heal, to bless. Jesus is trying to make the point here that he is not a hometown prophet. He's not even a national savior. <laughs> He is the Son of God who's going to go beyond Israel, beyond Nazareth, and save, be Savior to the entire world, the Son of God for everyone. He hasn't just come to bless them in their pride and let them continue on in their idea of what it means to be pious and religious while they forget and overlook people who are struggling. He gives them fresh insight into who he is. And at first, everybody's amazed but then it all goes sideways when they don't realize who he is and they say, aren't you Joseph's boy? 
Joseph is his stepfather, yes. But this is Yahweh's son. Jesus is the son of God. The people of that synagogue that day, they wanted God on their own terms. They wanted a God who would hear their plans and bless them. They wanted a God where they could say, God, here's what I'm up to. Here's what I want to accomplish. Will you make it so? Will you bless me in it? They wanted a hometown prophet who kind of owed it to them. And Jesus called it on them. And they freaked out. Listen to this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him down a cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Think about that for a second. Like moments before, they were amazed. What a great sermon. What an amazing thing that Jesus has said. And then when he speaks honestly with them about their misunderstanding about who he is, everything changes. It got me thinking about us this week. About how often do we, do we fail to see Jesus for who he is? I was thinking about there's all these different ideas about Jesus. Different ideas about who he is. But not only that, but sometimes we even narrow it down even more. We get down to our one picture of Jesus. This is the idea of Jesus that I like the most. And this is the only one I'm going to hold on to. Like the people of the synagogue that day, we want a Savior on our terms. We want to live our lives to get Jesus to bless it. We want him to be a handy hometown prophet. On my God who makes my plans succeed. But that morning in Nazareth and this morning in Balfour, we see that Jesus is bigger than what we realize. That there's more to him than our own personal plans. That there's more to Jesus than just our understanding. He's more than just the God who's going to bless what I want. In fact, we need a bigger picture of Jesus. Not just the images that we have, but to see him more clearly. As I was uh, studying the Word of God this week, thinking about us this morning, wanting us to realize the full spectrum of who Jesus is. Very common one that we, uh, as evangelicals, we get centered on is Jesus as Savior. And that is true, and that is amazing stuff. But he's also bigger than that. He's also the Son of God. He's also the King of Kings. Jesus is more than just our ticket to get to heaven when we die. He's actually the Lord of our lives right now. The Lord of our lives, that everything we do is around him. So it's not just that we come to church on Sundays and live the rest of our lives saying, Jesus, bless the rest, but he shapes everything that we do. This morning I hear Jesus challenging the people in the synagogue in Nazareth and maybe some ways challenging us too to expand our understanding of who he is. That he's not just God on our terms. He's the son of God for the whole world and everything that that includes. Amen.